Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have William Tingle. He began investing in real estate in 1999 by taking a $5,000 advance from his credit card. And since that time, he has taken deed on over 500 properties. And for over 10 years, he operated a real estate business where he wholesaled and rehabbed numerous properties each year, but found his real niche in subject to deals, which is what we'll talk about mainly today. So thank you so much for being on the show today, William. Hey, thanks, Charles. Uh, honored to be here. Just, just glad to talk to your uh, to your followers today. Yeah, we touched base uh, months back when I was on your show, and it's awesome to have you on here. As our listeners know, the majority of what we talk about on the show is we talk about a lot of uh, multifamily investing. And what William has, um, before we get into it, give us a little background on yourself, because I just gave you kind of a brief overview. But if you can give us a little bit of self sure. about yourself personally and professionally prior to getting involved with real estate investing. You bet. I was in the restaurant management business. I actually to go to go a little further back. I quit school in the ninth grade. Uh, a lot of big story behind that. I won't bother you with that today. But so you know, I got started in the restaurant business as a dishwasher and worked my way up because in those days, if you worked hard, if you showed up, you got promoted pretty quickly. And uh, anybody who's been in the restaurant business knows how it works. So I found myself twenty years later. Uh, you know, almost 40 years old. And, uh, you know, I was a district manager covering multiple states, making pretty good money, but I worked all the time. I never saw my family, my wife, my kids. Uh, they were both pretty young at the time. And I thought, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And uh, one night at two in the morning, I was flipping channels and a Carlton Sheets infomercial came on. And I, I know if you're some of your listeners, I have no money down. No money down. No money down. And, and the, there's always these palm trees swaying <laughs> in the background. And I thought, man, you know, I, and, and some of the people he had on the show was just crazy. They, I mean, you could tell that they weren't, you know, like super, super smart. And I thought, well, that works for me. You know, I'm only in a ninth grade education. Maybe I can figure this out too. So I whipped out the credit card, ordered the Carlton Sheets course. And, uh, you know, I, the difference in me and a lot of people is I actually did what he said to do. I didn't know any better. I didn't know it wouldn't work. I wasn't surrounded by people telling me it won't work because I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And so I actually went out, started doing what he said. Uh, 30 days later, I bought my first house. Then uh, next month, I bought a next house. And after four or five houses, I said, whoa, this stuff might really work. And that's how I got started. That's awesome. So when what was your first real estate investment with that? I mean, his whole thing was buying... Uh, I, my dad had the program. I listened to it many years back, but it was single family rentals. Is that what it was? Right. That It was single family homes primarily. Now, if, if you have the Carlton Sheets course, you know it's 10 miles wide and about one inch deep. He covers everything under the yeah. sun, but not very in depth. Uh, but I decided early on I wanted to do single family stuff. So that's what I did. And and through networking, I met another investor who said, listen, there's a small local bank where you are. They'll do investor loans. And, uh, you know, because I didn't know yeah. anything about subject two at the time. So I went down there, met with the banker 
And uh, he said, well, you're going to, yeah, I'll finance you for some stuff, but you're going to have to have some skin in the game. And I thought, well, gee, Carlton said I didn't have to have any money. So how can I work this out creatively? So I had taken a $5,000 advance off my credit card to start my business. And I told this banker, I said, well, listen, I got this house that I'm interested in. And uh, what if instead of giving you cash for a down payment, I give you, say, three grand and you put that in a CD in your bank and hold that as security? And he said, OK, I can do that. So all said and done, I bought this rental property uh, from this family that had moved away, had a tenant in it. But after prorations and everything, I got the house and I walked away from closing with a check for eight hundred and seventy one dollars. And I said, wow, I got a house and I got a check and uh, I didn't have to put any money down technically. So it worked out for us. That's great. That's great. So when we're talking about subject two, and you, you mentioned it as being the most dependable and consistent way to build wealth in real estate. So what is buying a project, project uh, a property subject to? You know, buying a property subject to is really just taking over the loan that's on the property. Now, when we say subject to, it could be subject to a lot of things. If if you call me today, Charles, and you've got a house you need to sell, maybe you've got an IRS lien on it. Maybe you've got judgments, multiple judgments. You've got a mortgage, but the deal makes sense. I can get you to deed me that property. I can take over the payments on your mortgage. I can take over uh, the responsibility of paying out out all of those debts on your property. And that's what we do when we buy subject to. We take over payments on the property. Typically that's going to be what it is. If there are any additional liens and judgments, we'll get those satisfied or we'll take over the responsibility for those as well. And I guess one of the big questions that might happen, and we're not, none of us are attorneys on this, but uh, is purchasing a property with existing finance, financing legal? And how do you structure that? It is perfectly legal. Uh, you know, the next question you'll get from people is what about the due on sale clause? Because most residential mortgages, most mortgages in general uh, have what is called a due on sale clause. And what that means is if you transfer title or any interest in the property without the approval of the lender, they have the right to call the full loan due and payable. Uh, violating that due on sale clause is not a criminal uh, thing that you do. It's a violation of a clause. It's just an agreement between the purchaser and the financer. Uh, so doing that is, is really, it's, it's, it's not criminal in any way. You won't go to jail. There's no due on sale jail. It's perfectly legal to take over payments subject to any state in the United States, a lot of countries across the planet. When I was speaking to my asset protection attorney years back and he was telling me, he goes, it is in there, but out of all the times that I've had clients do it, not one time it's has it come back. And, uh, and obviously, yeah. Yeah. We bought hundreds and hundreds of houses. Our students have done the same. We've never had a do on sale issue ever in, in 20, over 20 years of doing this. So it's obviously in the paperwork. You should talk to your attorney before doing it. However, um, these are just experiences that I've had uh, myself and William and then also my attorney. So it's one of those things that um, you kind of work off of that. But um, right. So William, with this the strategy, I see the strategy working fantastically when you're in markets uh, or you're in parts of the market cycle that is, you know, at the lows, right? Um, where people might have um, higher unemployment, these type of issues. You know, right now, why would a seller uh, ever sell with subject to financing, especially since over the last three or four years, we've had such an increase in home prices and home equity. 
mean, where are most sellers most likely to be, you know, not really underwater anymore, right? You know, people get into all kinds of situations all the time, and it just really depends on the seller situation. I can give you a couple of examples from this year. Now, we're in Northwest Arkansas, home of Walmart, home of J.B. Hunt, home of Tyson Chicken. This is one of the hottest markets in the country, even still today after COVID. A lot of people move here for these big industries. Uh, homes usually sell very quickly. Still, uh, we've had people give us properties this year with tremendous amounts of equity. I'll, I'll give you an example of one guy. Who knows why some people do these things? The last house we bought, we're actually remodeling to move in. This couple got behind on their payments. They, you know, they they listed the house for sale. It didn't sell. He had taken a job where he made a lot less money. And he just couldn't keep up. He called us several months ago, talked to us about buying it. We proposed buying it, taking over the payments. He wasn't ready. He wanted $50,000 for his equity. And that was more than we were willing to pay. Now, you move forward a few months. He actually called us. Literally, he said to me, he said, William, I know I talked to you a few months ago. He said, here's my situation now. He said, my bank account's empty. I haven't made this month's payment. I'm not going to be able to make this month's payment. I don't want to wreck my credit. I've got to do something right now. Can you help me? Uh, final in bottom line was we bought a $300,000 house for the loan balance of $225,000. We wrote the seller a check for $12,000 uh, and got a great house in a nice neighborhood that we're actually fixing up a little bit to move into ourselves. So that guy just got in a little bit of trouble and he needed to do something very quickly. He didn't want the uncertainty of listing it again and maybe it wouldn't sell. He needed to do something today. And we've had people just get into those situations. Divorce is the same way. We need to sell this house. We want to get out of here. What do we need to do? Sometimes when people are under pressure or in trouble, the amount of equity they have doesn't matter anymore. And if you've ever been divorced or had a situation happen to you in your life, you, you understand that, but it, it just happens. Yeah. It's great that you're able to structure these, um, these situations as a win-win for both the investor and also the home seller, because I think you have a lot of people out there that might, um, I think you have a lot of people in the wholesaling or in other types of in these industries that are taking advantage of people. So it's great that you and your students can structure this as a win-win where you're able to help them out while also uh, doing good, making a good deal for yourself. Right. And the best part, uh, you get a house like, take the example I gave you of the couple that sold us the house that we're, we're going to actually move into. So we bought this $300,000 house for, $230,000, $240,000, but it's at 3.1% interest, Charles, 3.1% interest. There's a $1,500 a month payment on this house, 500 of that, a full third of that payment goes toward principal reduction. Uh, you can't get anything like that in the market today. So with that being said, uh, what is an exit strategy? I mean, how does that work where, and how do you structure with him? Because this gentleman, let's say, for example, he's going to have this sitting on his credit. And even though it's um, it's up to date, right? Let's just say it's current. That's the better wording. Um, he probably at some point wants to buy another house. And so he probably wants this off his credit in some time in the near future. He probably doesn't care about it now because his credit's great now and everything's fine. And he's working on getting everything back to order in his life. But how do you structure it where 
Are you going to now refinance them out in five years? Are you going to sell it in five years? Are you saying, hey, we're going to hold it to maturity? We tell our sellers when that question comes up, and sometimes it will, we tell our sellers, we can't guarantee you when this loan will be retired. I just can't make that promise. I don't have the ability to know what's going to happen three years from now. The, the, you know, the bank may not give anyone a dime in three years. We've seen that happen uh, in previous cycles. So we can't make that promise. All we can promise is an on-time payment until that day comes. Now, our typical exit strategy is to uh, sell the house with seller financing and encourage our borrower to refinance within a relatively short period of time, three, four years. But again, we can't guarantee that life happens to people. They get divorces, they separate, they lose jobs. Uh, but we just promise an on-time payment. Now, interesting thing, typically with a sub two, uh, after one year of someone else making the payments, and you can show documentation of that, the banks will wash that debt liability. Now, all of them won't do it. Some of them will, but at a minimum, they will give your seller a 75% credit toward their DTI, uh, which is the same they would get if they rented that property out. So they will at least get that. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to my seller in the future. I can't predict their future income, how they handle the rest of their credit, but we don't make promises on cash outs. We make on-time payments and then we'll provide them with documentation down the road should they need help with a new purchase. Yeah, that makes sense too. I mean, obviously a 3.1 mortgage rate, even if it was 4.1 or even 5.1, um, I mean, it's kind of crazy to <laughs> uh, refinance out that if you don't have to. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Now, one thing you, you said about the exit strategy, kind of, kind of want to dig into it. So obviously, the seller trusts you. You find the, you find the seller. He trusts you. Um, you now have access to paying the mortgage. He doesn't really have access to that anymore. Um, obviously, there's going to be something in the agreement that says if you stop paying, he's getting the house back. Something happens on that front. But when you go now to a th another party and say you sell the property with seller financing and we're still using the original seller's financing, correct? Right. Correct. How do we, I mean, how do you guarantee, so you're not putting a bind that, because now you're, you're a bank almost as well here, um, or facilitating like a servicer. How are you making sure that that mortgage is paid? Are they paying you and then you're making sure it's paid? Or are you really just passing them everything and saying, hey, make the payment here, you know, please make the payment here. That's how it works. 
If I make you a promise, Charles, to make your mortgage payment every month, it is my responsibility to stay in the middle of that transaction. Mm -hmm. uh, if I put a buyer in that house and they don't pay me this month, your mortgage payment is still going to be made. It is my responsibility to either get those borrower, but my buyer out and get someone new in. But in the meantime, I'm on the hook for that payment. So we stay in the middle of these things until they're completely retired. Yeah, that's the best way of doing it, I think, because yeah. that way you're not finding out three months later, the guy's calling you, hey, my credit's damaged. I'm like 90 days behind, all this kind of stuff. So yeah. We don't, we don't want that call at all. In fact, a lot of people, you'll hear this, sub two is such a buzzword now because of the interest rates going up. And you see a lot of these people out there talk about wholesaling sub two deals, which I say is just the worst. If I promise you to make your payments, I can't assign my promise. I can't, if, if I, somebody else says, Hey, I'll take that deal for 20 grand and I take 20,000 and pass it off to another investor and that investor doesn't pay, you're going to be looking for me when the loan doesn't get paid. You don't even know this other guy. So that's that's not a good way. Yeah. If I was on that sellers, the distressed sellers side, that would be my main thing is making sure the credibility of William and making sure he's you know going to be taking care of this and what he says, because I don't want the property back, obviously. You know, so um, so we've, we've talked about exit strategies and kind of going back to the beginning a little bit. I mean, what have you found to be the best methods for finding sellers who might be interested in selling through a subject to? And then another part of that is, is subject to one of the only things you keep in your tool belt? Or do you teach your students maybe, you know, are you going to wholesale this? Or are there other things? So what might work best for a potential seller? Uh the vast majority of what we do is sub two. We actually target specific people that are most likely to sell this way. You just can't beat it. You don't have to get approval from a bank. You get super low interest rates now. I challenge any investor who tells me that they can go out and get a loan at three or three and a half percent. We've seen what seven, eight percent interest rates for investors do to cash flow. Uh, I can buy houses all day long at three percent or less. Um, but so we look for specific people that probably need our services. That can be people getting divorces, people in foreclosure. Foreclosure is a big part of our business. We actually door knock, talk to these people. Our first step is to try to help them if they want to keep their house, because most people want to keep it. And if we can assist them with that, we'll certainly do it. If they're in a situation where they want to sell it, hey, we're, we're buyers. And, and we want to do that too. Uh, so foreclosure, uh, foreclosure investing, that's a big part of what we do. So you're buying lists, let's say, that are pre-foreclosure and then you're working it out or how does that work? We, I have never been a list buyer. I create lists. List, lists that you buy are old mm -hmm. or stale or 10,000 other people have bought them. Uh, we actually go to our county website on a weekly basis and get the freshest notice of defaults that are filed at the courthouse. Uh, and those people, we're going to be knocking on their door within a couple of days. So we're, we're usually out there before they even know the notice has been filed. That's how quick we are out there. And then they're going to work out with their bank and you're going to get them current. And then part of that, you're taking over the property. 
Well, what will happen, most of these people are behind. They've either had a loan modification several months before and still haven't made any payments, or they're just behind. And we just come in, if they want to sell, we find out what they need as far as cash, what they're expecting. Let's say somebody's 10000 behind, their payments are 1500 bucks a month, hadn't made a payment in six months, and they want 10000 So we're looking at 20000 to get into the house. Uh, it's in very good condition, but it's worth three hundred. We know we can get thirty thousand down from a buyer, so it makes sense to to lay out twenty, get thirty from a buyer. We've got ten thousand in our pocket plus cash flow. That's a typical deal for us. Yeah, and then that's not going to work with a typical wholesaler that because by the time that they get it under contract, by the time that they assign it, this person's deep in. You know, they're they're even more behind uh, in this foreclosure process. Whereas you're coming in fixing it right away. And that allows right. them to everybody to salvage everything, which is, which is great. Right. And, and not only that, but people that are six months behind on their mortgage, they've got a real ding in their credit. We're going to, to help their credit by catching those payments up and making them over time before we sell that house. So that's going to help their credit out a good bit. Yeah, for sure. That's going to make it uh, a lot less painful for them down the road when they're looking for credit. Right. So, William, if we have someone that was saying interested in being aspiring subject to investor, what would be some advice you'd give them? Well, first of all, don't fall into this trap. A lot of people set out there for you that you can automate everything that you do, especially when you're focusing on subject to that's about relationships. You've got to have conversations with people and face to face is better. Uh, like I said, we go out and we door knock. We work locally now. You can do it long distance. It's a little bit more, more difficult, but just get in front of people, have a lot of conversations and you'll buy houses. Uh, but all of this, you know, I know people buy houses by texting 10,000 people a day. Uh, but, but if you really want to make good deals, our average profit on a deal this year was over $70,000. Uh, and that's in a hot market. Okay. Um, and we didn't work very hard. I got to tell you, um, you know, we, we work probably on our real estate business, maybe 15 or 20 hours a week. Uh, so even in a hot market, you can make money, have a lot of conversations with people and you'll buy houses. Yeah. Build that report with those, with those sellers, uh, and, uh, seeing how you can help them. Right. What are other than that, where people are not building rapport with investors, they're trying to automate everything and all streamline everything, let's say, what are other common mistakes you might see subject to um, in real estate investors make? The, the biggest mistakes that you can make is not fully disclosing to your seller exactly what's going to happen here. And having that disclosure in writing multiple times, you want everybody to be on the same page. If, if I'm making your payments for you, Charles, for the next year, two years, five years, we may not even speak, but we have a relationship that's ongoing. You're counting on me to make payments, to not harm your credit uh, and that sort of thing. And I'm counting on you not to get angry and make a problem down the road because sellers can get upset if you don't fulfill your promises. So don't make promises you can't keep. Fully disclose what's going on. Make sure that that they understand that this can impact them for some time down the road. Uh, those are the biggest errors that I see. You know, a lot of new investors are afraid to tell the seller too much. Well, if I tell them we may not pay it off for years, they may not let us have it. If the possibility of that loan being on their credit for years 
makes them uncomfortable with it, they shouldn't do it anyway. Uh, tell your seller what's going to be happening and don't, you know, don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. And for most people too, keeping a mortgage, a current mortgage on their credit, um, it's like improves your points by like 40 points or something. I mean, it, it has a, it has a significant, significant importance to your credit score. And so someone keeping that on there, that's current, obviously, um, that's key is going to be something that's going to, uh, assist them down the road with having that mortgage. Um, so sure. very, very interesting. So William, um, 25 years almost as a real estate investor, uh, starting from a credit card advance, how has your relationship towards money changed over those decades? You know, the, the biggest, I heard this a long time ago, is that money doesn't change who you are, really. If, if, if you're broke uh, you're, and, and you're a jerk, you're probably going to be a jerk when you're rich. You know what I mean? Uh, the biggest thing for me with money that I've noticed personally is that when I was broke, I felt like I needed a lot of props. I needed a nice car. I needed this. I needed that. When you get to the point to where you have more money or you have plenty of money to do the things you want to do, I think you become a better steward of it. Uh, you, you, you don't need those things to impress people. You, the confidence level increases. So it's like, uh, I guess the more, the more, um, I had access to money, the less I needed to spend it to prove something. So if that makes sense, I don't know. Yeah. 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 It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I think it's with people that initially get money, they might be sucked into that. And I think over the years, um, they kind of find themselves. I think it's something that they don't need it as much anymore. Right. But I agree. What do you think are the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success over those years? Gosh, uh, not being afraid to work. You know, we, we talked a little about that before we came on today. I'm telling you, finding people that you can count on and depend on uh, to do things is really tough out there. And I just, uh, you know, from a young age, like I said, I quit school in the ninth grade. I had to work to make it, you know, I was on my own and, uh, just not being afraid. Like I said, when I bought that Carlton Sheets course, I, I didn't surround myself with people that said it won't work. It won't work. I just did it. I, I followed a plan. If a lot of investors have shiny object syndrome, they buy a course, they read about a third of it, and then they put it back on the shelf. It doesn't matter what you want to do, whether it's multifamily, single family, uh, commercial, it doesn't matter. Pick something, follow a course from a reputable teacher and do what they tell you to do. And your chances of success improve tremendously. Yeah. No, it's really true. It's interesting that you're you're not reinventing it. You're really just following a roadmap that's already been charted and traveled. And you're really just uh, asking them and you know following it and then getting support along the way with any kind of questions you might have. So William, you have a group coaching, you have one-on-one -on -one coaching, you have all different types of things for people getting involved with real estate investing and subject to how can our listeners learn more about you, your book and your business and your coaching? Well, the easiest way to learn about us is to uh, check us out uh, on our YouTube channel, sub2tv.com. That's S-U-B, the number two tv.com. It'll take you right to our YouTube channel. We release a new video just about every day. We do podcasts, we do uh, YouTube lives, and we release just training, general training videos. That's the easiest way to find us. Beyond that, we have probably the, the most affordable creative finance coaching on the planet at $7coaching.com. 
uh, seven bucks a month and I'll answer your questions for you and we'll, we'll teach you how to get out there and talk to sellers and buy houses. That's fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on today, William, and uh, looking forward to connecting with you here in the near future. Oh, for sure. I appreciate you having me on. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.